the whole time I was just trying to figure them out. And but at the same time, I did feel some sort of connection to them. That sort of deep down connection that other adoptees that you have talked to have stated that there's, there's something about being in the presence of people that you've never known and yet you feel connected to uh, on a deeper level. And it's hard to explain. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and today you'll hear Jonathan's journey. He admits that adoption was always part of his story, and he was never made to feel special or different. But after his adopted sister sought out her biological family for medical information, Jonathan decided it was time for his search to begin too. What he found was such a great likeness to his paternal side that it worked against him in meeting his biological mother, who might not have been mentally strong enough to see the face of the young man she used to know on her adult biological son. This is Jonathan's journey. Jonathan grew up in the country in upstate New York, in his parents' hometown where they had grown up. They knew everyone in town. His father was the editor of the local newspaper. His mother was a stay-at-home mom. He's the oldest of his four siblings, three of whom are adopted. There's a 10-year age range between him and his youngest sister, the biological child of his parents. Adoption wasn't a big deal for them. One of the families that lived down the road from them had an adopted child in their family, and there was another adopted kid in school with him. Their parents had several brothers and sisters, so there were lots of cousins nearby in a close-knit family. Jonathan said that his siblings, including his youngest sister, kind of looked alike with blonde hair and blue eyes, despite their parents having brown hair and brown eyes. In fact, some folks have told him that he and his youngest sister even have some physical similarities. In this well-adjusted family life, Jonathan didn't really have a desire to search for his biological family. He was curious about his birth mother, but it was mostly a fleeting thought that passed fairly quickly. I think part of that is that we always knew that we were adopted. We were told at a very young age. Uh, my parents had a book that, that they would read to us. And usually it was because we had pulled it off the bookshelf, not because they had. But the book just talked about adoption and and... The thing that stuck with me is at the beginning of the book, it talked about my birth mother. Not mine, you know, per se, but... Birth mothers. It was, it, it was a general, it was, like a mother. general adoption storybook, it sounds A like. general adoption story, yeah. Uh-huh. And it basically just said that your birth mother couldn't take care of you, and so your parents adopted you. And it was very matter-of-fact. It didn't pass judgment. It, it didn't make a big deal of my parents adopting me either. It didn't... The book didn't say, oh, you were chosen, and, and how special that is. It didn't do that. It just was matter of fact. Your birth mother couldn't take care of you. Your adoptive parents adopted you, and, and they're going to teach you all these things. And, and I just never had a burning curiosity to, to search. And my siblings didn't seem to either. Uh, we could talk about adoption, and, and we did. I, I remember sitting around the dinner table, and we were all asking about ethnic or cultural backgrounds, and my parents did have that information. 
and shared it with us. And, and that's as far as it went. And then the conversation would veer off into what we did at school. It, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything we couldn't talk about. In the 1990s, Jonathan's sister had a medical issue that prompted her to seek her non-identifying information, and she thought perhaps Jonathan and their brother should do the same. Years later, in 2018, his sister called one night to share that she had started her search for her biological mother. Jonathan characterized his sister as someone who is comfortable with who she is, so she was the last person he thought would embark on a reunion search. She was in contact with a distant cousin who was helping his sister as best she could. Her search made Jonathan think to himself that he should start searching right away. His non-identifying information had revealed that his birth mother was 29, his birth father was 39, and his birth father was married with two children. In 2018, his birth mother would have been nearly 80 years old, his birth father nearly 90, so there was no time to waste if he wanted to make connections with them. One day at his sister's house, an ad came on TV for Ancestry DNA kits, so he ordered one for himself. The kit arrived, sat on his kitchen counter for a week, then he finally submitted his sample. Jonathan's results were returned pretty quickly, highlighting a first cousin and another close relative match. The first cousin match was somebody who was active on the Ancestry DNA site. So as soon as I got my results, I put a message together and sent it off to her, telling her briefly my story and explaining the uncomfortable birth order. And she wrote back to me the next day and she said, well, I'm not quite sure who I would connect you with, but let me put you in touch with my nephew. He, he might have a better sense. And so I talked to her nephew, my cousin. While we were talking, he texted his sister, and his sister was able to put two and two together and figure out that we were working with the paternal side of my family. And she figured out who my birth father was. And she then contacted my half-brother, who is the youngest of four of us. I'm third in the birth order. And she arranged for the two of us to have a conversation by phone, and, and we did. And it was, it was a rather matter-of-fact call. He was surprised by this information. But he told me about my birth father and you know, told me where he grew up and where they grew up and his occupation and, and what he was like. And he didn't, he painted a, a picture of my birth father that others have said as well. It wasn't a perfect person, but, but he was okay. So and then... Was your birth father alive still? No, he, had pa he passed away, I think, in 1999. So anyway, so my half-brother contacted my two half-sisters, who are older than me, and I got a friend request from the younger of the two. I accepted it, and she sent me a message, and she said, well, I hear you're my half-brother. I don't like change, <laughs> so I'm going to have to, it's going to take a little getting used to, but why don't we talk next week? Now, on my Facebook page, I had a picture of me just looking straight on, like no other people in the, in the picture, it was just me, so that if anybody was looking for my page on Facebook, they, they could maybe connect me physically with somebody. So my sister had seen my picture. Well, she was cleaning house that weekend, and she sent me a text of the wedding photo of my birth father and his wife. 
and I look just like my birth father. Same facial structure, same ears. <laughs> wow. So, such similarity, but I actually look the most like him of, of the four of us. That's crazy. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. So then the following week, she and I talked and we had a nice conversation. And so I, I should back up a little bit by saying that when I made the contact with my first cousin, when I got my DNA results, after she said to me, well, I'm not quite sure who to, to uh, connect you to, why don't you come to the family reunion at the end of July? <laughs> now, this was, wow. I think, late April or May. I, I just sort of put her off on that. I was like, yeah, maybe too soon. <laughs> right, right. And like, hey, I maybe, just maybe got I need to, Yeah, maybe I need to figure out who I fit in with because I'm not just going to show up. <laughs> Here I am. Yeah. Parachute into this thing where there's a whole existing family dynamic and you're the new guy. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody claimed me, but in the conversation with my half-sister, she did invite me to come. And I said yes. Jonathan was in contact with his younger half-brother and his half-sister, the middle child in his paternal family. But he hadn't been introduced to his older sister yet, and he detected that she might not be as accepting of his emergence. It wasn't explicitly stated per se, but a feeling Jonathan got. He identified his older sister's Facebook page, but Jonathan didn't send a friend request. Then, a week before the family reunion, the woman sent him a Facebook friend request, which he accepted. They didn't have an online conversation, they just connected. The reunion was being held six hours from his home south of Syracuse, New York, so Jonathan drove halfway there to his own adopted sister's house to spend the night. The next day, he drove the final three hours alone to his paternal sister's house before the reunion. He said he wanted to make sure he had his own vehicle there, so if things went poorly, he had the freedom to bail out. The brother, who lives in the South, didn't attend the family reunion that year, so the day of the event, Jonathan drove to his middle sister's home to meet her and their oldest sister. I got out of the car and I was met with open arms and hugs and, and smiles and so nice to meet you. And it was really a, a very nice experience. Wow. Um, because, you know, given the fact that I'm third in line, they clearly know why. <laughs> right, right. I'm on the scene and that it's not flattering to our father. But I think the fact that he was deceased made that easier. So we, you know, we were chatting for a little while, and, and my older sister pulled me aside. She actually pulled me behind the garage <laughs> to have a private conversation, <laughs> and she told me that her mother had had a conversation with her and said, someday another sibling might show up, and basically told my sister that our father had had an affair and had gone on for a while, and... During this conversation, my sister told me what street they lived on. And I knew from census records that knowing a street name is is helpful. Right, (laughs) right. So I just, I tucked away that that street name. And we, you know, we rejoined the conversation afterwards. And so, anyway, the the picture of my birth mother that my half-sister painted was not so flattering. But it was also information coming from her mother. So, so I took it for what it was worth. And so then we had some, we had coffee and we talked for a while. They, they didn't really ask me a whole lot about myself. We just, 
I don't know, we just talked. And the whole time I was just trying to figure them out. And But at the same time, I did feel some sort of connection to them, that sort of deep down connection that other adoptees that you have talked to have stated that there's, there's something about being in the presence of people that you've never known and yet you feel connected to uh, on a deeper level. And it's hard to explain. Very hard to explain. But yeah, but it's there. That, it's, it's there. It's clearly there, right? Yes, yes. And I, I still struggle to put words to it. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just a feeling that that you can't explain. And and then we went off to the family reunion and I they introduced me to the cousin that I had first made contact with and two of her sisters and our aunt who was at the time ninety eight years old and who was still going strong. She was just the life of the party. She was walking around talking to everybody and <laughs> she dragged me over to look at the family photo album and the family tree and she gave me photos out of the photo album and she later sent me other photos and, and memorabilia from the family. And then because this is an annual reunion, they have a little committee that, that sort of keeps things together, a formal meeting. And my sisters introduced me as their brother during that meeting. And yeah, it was, it was nice. I mean, it was, it was nice that they, that they did that. I'm sure it was difficult because I, you know, we're all around this, the same approximate age. And you know what you represent within the family, basically, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I, I give them kudos for being brave enough to, to do that. But it's, it's been good. That evening, Jonathan took his cousin up on an offer to stay at their place for the night. It was a beautiful day outside and a bit of a drive through the countryside of New York State. So he put down the windows and drove along in solitude with the radio off just kind of processing everything he had experienced. He told me back then, and even still now, it's hard to put his feelings about everything into words, and the whole experience of reunion is hard to process. There's a feeling of, oh, I belong to these people, and and there is some sort of connection that is made that is very hard to describe to people that haven't gone through it. Because I I did feel a connection to them, and yet I, I didn't know them at all, and I you know, I still don't know them well because we live six hours apart, at least. So it's, it's I don't know, it's, it's just, it's been a very interesting journey. And it happened very quickly from the time of the phone call from my sister to finding my family was only two or three months. And then another month later, I was at the family reunion. So wow, it was very quick. And it was just fortunate that I had a first cousin who was on Ancestry. Mm-hmm. God, that is, that's so lucky. Right. Because when some people go on Ancestry, they're engaged. Some people go on Ancestry, they see what they want to see and then they totally disengage. (laughs) You never hear from them again. So that's really fortunate. Exactly. Exactly. Jonathan tried to search Ancestry to decipher his maternal connections. With time, he got more adept at determining which side of his lineage his connections belonged to. Later that year, in the winter, a first cousin popped up on his maternal side. The woman's username was not her actual name, so it took some digging to sort out who she was. Deep in the historical messages she had written early in her days using Ancestry, she had named her own father and grandfather because she was searching for Polish relatives. 
Those were key names to search for in the census records, leading Jonathan to his birth mother's identity. He messaged his cousin, who, lucky for him, was experiencing a flight delay in Los Angeles during a business trip. So she was available to message back and forth with him about his place in their maternal family. Jonathan's cousin was intrigued by the whole thing and pledged to help him get in contact with his birth mother. And she was just going to tell her that a family member who had shown up through DNA and who had been adopted wanted to talk to her about family history. And, and she didn't say anything more about that. But when she talked to my birth mother and when she, when she mentioned adopted, my birth mother apparently said, oh, and it was just sort of a, a knowing sort of, oh, my God, you know my secret now. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, wow. and she didn't go anywhere with it. My cousin didn't go anywhere with it. They just sort of let it lay there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I called my birth mother that afternoon. And when I got on the phone with her, I said, I think you probably know why I'm calling. And she said, no. I said, well, I asked her if she had had a son in 1964, and she said, no. And I said, well, I had a, a DNA test, and, and through that, I've, it steered me to you. And she said, no, I never had, a, never had a son in 1964. So I was a little shocked by that. And what, what did you think? In the moment, I wasn't quite sure what to think. What I ended up doing was, I ended up just saying, well, DNA doesn't usually lie, but I, I guess I just wanted to tell my birth mother that I'm okay and that I had a good life with good parents and I'm happy in my life. And then I got off the call with her. But I, I was basically just trying to say the things that most birth mothers seem to want to hear, that they made their decision was, was a good decision. But it doesn't sound like she was in a place to receive that. No, no. And interestingly, in my, in my 9-ID information, it, it mentioned that she had seemed very uptight and would cry at the drop of a hat and really had a hard time discussing the pregnancy and adoption and all that sort of thing. So I got the sense that maybe she had just tucked this away for so long that she couldn't, just couldn't talk about it. Like she just had put up a wall around the whole thing with the mm-hmm. birth and, and wondering and everything else. So then, so that was a Friday. On Sunday, I got another message from my cousin that, now I had, I had already figured out and my cousin had confirmed that I, through my birth mother, I have a half-sister and it's the only other sibling on that side. My half-sister had called my cousin to tell her that my birth mother had told her everything. Huh. She never she never said anything prior to to all of this. But she came clean. And my half sister also told my cousin that my birth mother was in the early stages of dementia. So that could that could have some bearing on the conversation that I had with her because people with dementia late afternoon is which is when I called her, can be a difficult time. Yeah. So I, I had that experience with my own mother. So I yeah. noticed that if I called her, my adoptive mother, if I called her mm-hmm. first thing in the morning, 
I could have a mm -hmm. relatively good conversation with her. But if I yeah. called any time after 12, she was no good. I mean, some most times mm -hmm. wouldn't even answer the phone. And I learned later okay. they called it sundowners. Where yeah. basically an individual has what I would loosely term the brain power to sort of get through the morning when they wake up. Like they're rested, they feel good about the day or whatever. At least they're energized. And then it right. just it just wears off as the day goes mm -hmm. on and they've got nothing left. So that's interesting to hear. I would imagine if your cousin were to think back, she would probably say that your birth mother revealed you to her that next morning, not that afternoon, mm -hmm. right? Right. That's fascinating. Wow. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. So clearly she had listened to my cousin's conversation with her. She had received my call, but it was enough the next day to trigger a conversation with my half-sister. So at that point, I tracked down my half-sister on Facebook, and I sent her a message and a friend request. And I, I honestly, at this point, can't remember all that I said, but I did say to her that you know any communication going forward, I would funnel through her. Because dementia can be a difficult thing, as you know. And I, I didn't want to upset my birth mother by trying to continue to to have any conversation, to have any contact if she truly didn't want that. But if my half-sister wanted to have contact, then, then that was fine. Jonathan's maternal half-sister accepted his Facebook friend request. Accepted his Facebook friend request, and they began to chat. He described his family, talked about where he had attended college, where he lived, and what kind of work he had done to help her get familiar with his story. Jonathan sent her a letter with several photos from early in his childhood to the present day of their connection. He worded the letter in a way that if his birth mother ever read it, he hadn't said anything he was uncomfortable with her reading. He told his half-sister he would be in the area in a few months, so if they wanted to meet, it would be convenient. Jonathan's half-sister didn't respond to his suggestion until the week before he was going to be in town. And she said in her response, I don't think we should meet right now. I've got a lot going on and so forth. But I also interpreted it to mean that she didn't feel like she could meet me right now with our mother not wanting to have contact. Yes. And so when I replied back, I, I just sort of gave her the out. I said, you know, I can understand the hard place you'd be in to, to meet me and not be able to share that. Yeah. So, you know, we just kind of, see each other's posts on Facebook and, you know, we'll hit like every so often or make a very brief comment. You know, if I posted a picture of my dog, she'll, she might say, oh, how cute or that sort of thing. But we've, we've never had a conversation. We've never talked on the phone. That may come in time. In my mind, I've sort of envisioned a time where birth mother's dementia gets to a point where she doesn't recognize anybody. And like I said, it's sort of planning ahead. If it ever came to it that my sister said, well, if you would like to be if you would like to meet her and just be in the same room as, as her, we could do that. I think I would actually have to decline because, as I've said before, I look so much like my birth father. And I, I look the way my birth father looked when they knew one another. And I think it could be very jarring. Wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're so, right. Especially if you catch her at a moment of lucidity, that right. that could be a shock. Right, and and you could literally be mistaken for him almost if you know, depending upon how. Yeah, her mind is working right now. That's really fascinating, yeah. huh? Yeah, and that that I think would be so upsetting. I, I just I, I can't imagine. I mean, the, with dementia care, you just you just try to make things good for people. That's right. There's no there's no need to up, upset the apple cart. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You kind of got to meet them where they are, let their reality be what it is, and see where it jives yeah. with your own and. In the places yeah. that it does, that's awesome. And when it doesn't, you just kind of have to roll with it. Right. Yeah. And, and as much as I, I would, you know, I certainly would like to meet her, but it, if it was to be an upsetting thing, then no, that's, it's not to upset somebody. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not who I am. I, I don't, I started this conversation by saying I never had a burning desire to look. So the desire is certainly there to meet, but at the same time, I, I don't need to upset people. So there's a chance then that you might never meet her. Right, right. It's likely that I will never meet her. Jonathan holds out hope that perhaps one day he'll meet his sister. It turns out that both sides of his biological family live in the same town. But he's never told his paternal side that he has identified the maternal branches on his tree. They might figure out that they know one another, so revealing that connection might create awkwardness between the families. You've probably sensed from listening to Jonathan that he doesn't want to create awkwardness for anyone. Thinking about how Jonathan shared his journey to reunion with his adoptive family, he told me the search started after his adopted father passed away. I think he would have told me that he was okay with the search. I told my adoptive mother after I got my DNA results back and after I had made contact with my my brother and sister. My mother, it's difficult for her. On some level, I think she understands why we have searched, but she's adamant. She's our mother. And I have reassured her on, on a couple of occasions that, of course she is. She's, <laughs> she's mom. She is the person that raised us. That doesn't ever change. That cannot change. It will not change. I do sort of place my biological parents in the role of biology. I don't have a relationship with them. I have never had a relationship with them. They were not mom. They were not dad. They were biological parents. Mom and dad are, are reserved for the people that raised me. And to that end, my mother has said to me that if it can be arranged, she would like to meet my half-sisters. One of my half-sisters lives about an hour and a half from my mother. So that could be easily arranged. And she said, Jonathan, I'm just, I'm just trying to digest this and understand it and be along for the ride in a way that is supportive. Mm-hmm. So she may not be happy that our searches have gone on, but she's trying to just trying to understand it and, mm-hmm. and is, is willing to, to put herself out there. That is admirable, um, yeah, because not everybody can do that. Yeah, And as you yeah. say it, I realize she is in the position of having had at least two adoptive children go through their search and reunion journeys. So, Well, uh, I, I will say it's actually three. <laughs> All three of us have gone, have gone through the search, and my, my brother and his wife 
have done the searching as well, and, and again, that's their story to tell. And it's hard because my parents were always told that this information will be sealed away and never to be revealed. And these kids are yours, and nobody's ever going to come forward, and now we have gone out and easily searched. I mean, I, my, David, my search was two months. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe three months. And it, and it went from the phone call with my sister to just a few months later talking with my brother and sister on the phone. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't That's a long incredible. search. Yeah. Um, but I got lucky. So, yeah. I will tell you that when I was a kid, I was probably about 13 years old. The Catholic newspaper uh, in Albany interviewed my family. We were all there for the interview. And my mother told the, the, the interviewer that for many years, her heart stopped every time the, the doorbell rang. Wow. Because the people that knew us, when they came to our house, they knew to come in through the garage. And if the garage door was closed, they would just hit the button for the automatic door and, and let themselves at least into the garage that way. People that didn't know us, you know, uh, would go to the front door. And she was just always afraid that my birth mother would be standing at the door wanting her kids back. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. That must have been really hard. Yeah, it took a long time for her to move past that. Well, John, so, I, I appreciate you sort of delving into what it took to get to this, what ended up being a short search, you know, because as yeah. somebody who's well-adjusted, you know, you don't necessarily think, hey, it's time for me to dig into this thing. It just kind of rolls out of, it's like a it's like a soft wave, you know, coming on the beach. It just kind of rolls out of nowhere. And the next yeah. thing you know, it's there at your feet, right? And, and it's what you decide mm-hmm. to do with it. And it's yeah. really cool that you were able to go into it sort of open-mindedly without, prejudging some of the things that you know your family had been through you know you realize you're part of an right. affair you realize that mm-hmm. you're in this odd middle birth order and but but that they were accepting of you and and your open-mindedness to go bravely into this family reunion yeah. by yourself yeah. is really admirable and and I think yeah. you should be commended for that because it's a bravery that not everybody's able to face so well done well thank you I had there's one other thing that has come up recently that has nothing to do with my biological family, but everything to do with adoption. And that is I went to renew my driver's license. And the only thing that I've ever had from the state of New York for a birth certificate is actually something called a certificate of birth. And it basically, in a nutshell, says, yep, he was born on November 11th, but it doesn't didn't list any birth parents, didn't list any adoptive parents. Well, to get a real ID that we need for plane travel and and identification and starting in 2023, when I went to renew my license, they wouldn't accept this certificate of birth as a birth certificate. I actually had to contact the city of Albany to try to get my amended birth certificate that had my adoptive parents' names on it because I needed it for what is called the proof of lawful presence. <laughs> and the process to get that took nine or 10 weeks. My license and the extension that Massachusetts gave me on my license expired, and I haven't been able to drive for the last week or so because I have no license. And when the license extension expired, I 
got it on the internet and dug deep into the New York State website and was able to find phone numbers and I started calling people and I've, in a nutshell, I think I somehow managed to get my request for my birth certificate moved to the top of the pile because I think they might have figured, well, if you dug that deep to try to find us, well, he'll keep He'll keep tracking back. <laughs> <laughs> so I did receive my amended birth certificate yesterday, and this Monday I will go and get my license renewed. Wow, you got it yesterday? That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Because I, when I was finally able to speak to somebody, she said, well, it could be another eight weeks or so. That would have been a hard time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I, I encourage everybody who was adopted to make sure you have your amended birth certificate that lists your parents' names because you absolutely need that to get a real ID. That is so fascinating. What an odd complexity real ID has introduced that was unanticipated, right? You're right. That makes it super challenging for a whole gang of people. There are states where they're probably implementing real ID but also have not opened birth records and they and they continue right. to be sealed which creates mm-hmm. a tenuous situation for anybody in yeah. one that was similar to yours so right. i feel right. for someone who you know just wants to do the right thing but the law is actually preventing them from proceeding through the proper channels that's crazy yeah and the thing is my amended birth certificate has existed since my adoption was finalized it was it was just never forwarded to my parents it was sitting there they just had to find it make a copy put a seal on it and get it out to me but that's great why why that never happened back in 1966 when my adoption was finalized i don't know yeah fascinating wow jonathan i appreciate it man thank you again this is this has been great all right you take care all the best all right okay david thank you bye-bye goodbye Hey, it's me. Jonathan had one of those upbringings that really didn't force him to think about searching for his biological family. But as he admitted, the search was so easy because he was lucky that he had relatives on the Ancestry platform already. He said two things that were almost in conflict with one another. One, that he looks so much like his birth father. And two, with such a strong resemblance to the man, his appearance in the presence of his birth mother might be jarring for her in her fragile mental state because he looks so much like the man she knew years before. I've heard a lot of reasons why adopted people might not choose to or might not get to meet their biological parents, but never anything quite like that. It strikes me as a cruel irony in Jonathan's reunion. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you found something in in Jonathan's journey that inspired you validates your feelings about wanting to search or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn. Who am I, really? If you would like to share your adoption journey and your attempt to connect with your biological family, please visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share. You can follow the show at facebook.com slash really. If the show is meaningful to you, you can support me with a contribution to keep it going on patreon.com slash really. Please subscribe to Who Am I Really on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
it would mean so much to me if you took a moment to leave a five-star rating there. Those ratings can help others to find the podcast too. And you can check out the story of my adoption journey, Who Am I Really? An Adoptee Memoir on Amazon.com. I hope you'll add my story to your reading list.